Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you are listening to the Amazed and Perplexed Podcast. Jason, in your time in youth ministry, did you ever force teenagers to wash somebody else's feet? That's an excellent question. And my answer is, I don't think so. I do think we went to things where people had the opportunity. Um, I will say this. I have been at things as a participant in retreats where my feet, where I have washed feet and where my feet were washed. And it all depends on the level of the relationship because I've had it done where somebody was apologizing to me and they washed my feet and it was a person I didn't know very well. Like they had really done something bad behind the scenes I didn't even know about. And they're washing my feet and I'm like, I cannot hear you because this is so uncomfortable. But I've had experiences with people I know well and it was beautiful. But I have not forced people. Now, have you found yourself in that situation? Oh, yeah. I I, I grew up in church, so it happened, <laughs> happened at some point. I would say I've done it a handful of times and one or two were pretty meaningful. Um, yeah, I know that's just one of those experiences for some people. If if you are not fully bought into it, it is such a. I think maybe we'll talk about this. If you're not fully bought into it, it is such a um, weird and and weird. Yeah, it's just a weird thing to do. Um, <laughs> it's three word weird. It's three words weird. Well, I kept wanting to be like because I feel like for most people when they look back on it negatively, it's like oh, it's it's not really damaging. It's not this. It's not like. Dehumanize, so uh, it just ends up being weird for lots of people. Right. And if I hadn't had the beautiful, the, like the two set of experiences that I can specifically think about that were beautiful, I would my 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 feelings overall towards what happens here in this passage that we're going to talk about, and um, to my experiences would be that's weird, and there's no reason that you should do that, and it's it's just so odd. Um, but yeah, so I, if you didn't catch on, we're going to be talking about uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet found in John chapter 13. Yeah, and so this sets off, this leads directly to Gethsemane, uh, Jesus' last night uh, before he's crucified, and um, he's here, and this will contextualize, but they're they're experiencing the Passover feast, uh, and I'll start in verse 1, we'll just read uh, to the end of that section. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So, a very powerful scene. Connor, as you process this today, what amazes you? I love the transition here of of how John writes this. So in three, is Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, like I love that transition of so. Like that is such a that is such a powerful transition. You would think you read that just out of context and you'd be like, he says this. So I'm gonna rise to the clouds, I'm gonna come back from the dead immediately. I'm gonna do like and there is that is part of the part of what happens here. But the the immediate impact of the 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 truth of these the not the realization but the acknowledgement of these truths um, is that Jesus goes and washes um, not just saved people's feet but anybody who would allow him to wash his feet and that is just incredibly beautiful to me um, th- I mean there's so many things that are amazing about this the fact that 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 is the first thing that's the first so um, after that after that reality um, being acknowledged. Um, at least, at least by the writer in this context, the fact that Judas's feet is washed. I mean, I think it's one of those things as a church, we need to be reminding ourselves constantly, um, that Jesus will wash the feet of anybody who will let him. Um, and that is just one of those things. We put up so many guardrails and we we put up so many walls between, um, who is like how we serve people, um, who gets to be served and what capacity they get to be served. Um, and I think the capacity for Jesus is always like, are they willing to be? Are they willing to allow me to, to be with them in this way? Um, like that is such a, it is so opposite of how we view things. Yeah, everything that Jesus does here goes so against how I live my life, um, how I view people, how I view how I'm supposed to love people as Jesus does. Um the, it doesn't. The, the, it's so incredible, and I'll be done here in a second. What's so incredible to me about this passage is it doesn't back off from the fact that Judas is about to do what he he does. It is so intentional to to be like, no, Jesus. This is not accidental by Jesus. It's not accidental that he washes the feet of Judas. Um, Jesus knows what's happening. The devil is at work, and yet none of that stops Jesus. None of that. None of that stops Jesus from washing the feet of Judas. Um, and that it's so incredible because it'd be so easy to be like, if, if, if there wasn't this reinforce, like if it wasn't so blatant, if it wasn't so obvious, like if, 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 if John didn't make it so obvious, um, that Jesus knew that this was the context, then it'd be so easy for us to explain away. Um, but there's no loopholes here. Like when we read it, there's nothing that there, like we can try to find a way, but like, I can't imagine trying to like reading this and then trying to, you know, Bible, um, you know, jujitsu my way out of, out of the realities of what Jesus is um, displaying here. So a lot of word vomit there. No, 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 that's fabulous. It, it really, so I'm just going to jump into what amazed me because it's so right there is I, I could be free. This, especially where it gets down to very truly, I tell you, no servant's greatest master, you'll be blessed when you do them, do, do them what? recognize that when you have power you don't you don't have to control things see here's how it works in right you get a job somewhere you work there long enough you gain more and more power and now you have this deep responsibility well now it just gets 
heavier and heavier. And especially when it, that, that might be okay if you own your own business or something like that. But when you're dealing with supernatural things that you can't control, you know, and then you feel responsible for them, you know, we, if you're, if you're a servant of, of God, you're dealing with supernatural, you know, and you're dependent on supernatural. And for us to say, okay, I'm leading a church or I'm, you know, discipling with someone or something like this, and then attach control to that, that is the opposite of what Jesus does. And you said it, it's funny, I hadn't thought about this way, but he says this same thing at the start of the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He he says, I know everything. He already had it. And this that's interesting, and that's something else we could unpack, but this idea of when did he get all this authority? Because he's clear right now. He's got all this authority. And the way you set that up is exactly right. It's you would not anticipate this action. And, and I, I don't know that we need to say this out loud, but washing feet was not ritual like we experienced per your earlier question. Washing feet was a necessity because their feet were constantly dirty. Uh, there is a homeless ministry here in Tulsa that's this beautiful dynamic. But one of the things they offer is they wash feet there, but not as a spiritual ritual. They offer it because people don't shower much and their feet health, the health of their feet is a big deal. And at first it, it feels like, oh, that'd be gross or something, but it's really this beautiful experience, you know, um, because you have different conversations when you have somebody with the true need. That's that's why sometimes the ritual feels dumb or weird. Yeah, like it can. It feels yeah, it feels superficial. Like, yeah, we're trying to shoehorn this in. Jesus was not introducing spiritual ritual here. He was saying this is a need. We perceive ourselves as all equals with me as the higher one. Um, so nobody's doing this. You know, and he takes an opportunity of something that they've been taught since they were a little kid that the lesser washes the feet of the greater. I mean, this is a powerful lesson that we lose because we've only experienced foot washing as ritual, you know. And so but but this is amazing because he chooses this is corollary to oh, this is a true story, and I'm not tooting my horn, but it is something that happened. When I came into our church building yesterday, someone had gone to the bathroom and left visible evidence, if you, I'll let you put that together, in the stairwell, so uh, the external stairwell. So if you'd open the door going out, you would step right in it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like... <laughs> that happened I'm, a lot at the old building, too. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> I'm on sabbatical, you know? <laughs> and I don't think they are doing it to be gross. It was just an out-of-the-way place, you know, yeah. and everything. And so I'm like, but somebody's got to clean it. You know, so I'm, so I'm cleaning it up. And I am, like, feeling so good about myself and try not to throw up. Those are my two goals. <laughs> and uh, and it's like, this is not about Jesus feeling good about himself. Mm -hmm. He's saying, this is the norm when God has already worked everything out for you. You have nothing to prove. Mm -hmm. You just get to participate and experience the beauty. And that's the story of everybody that we think of as a great story in the Bible. We keep trying to manufacture these faith moments. And so what amazes me is he's calling us to this liberation of watch for what's needed that's and funny. respond, you know, and, and let God lead you. And we think, well, how will I know? I don't know that Jesus knew he's going to wash their feet until they all get into the room. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't say he knew it beforehand. It said at that time, basically, he knew these things. You know, now he might have planned it for years, but he didn't know for sure that they were going to show up. And I don't think there's a prophecy about washing feet. He, he didn't know they were going to show up and nobody was going to volunteer. 
You know, I mean, come on, Bartholomew, step up. You know, you know, you don't even get hardly a mention. You know, aren't you the lower one here, or or the other Simon, or whoever? You know, and it's like I think he looked around, and it could have been something else. Hey, somebody did wash feet, and he's commending that, but then he uses something else to make the example. Like, well, like we honor the washing feet, like that's a ritual we should participate in. This was just a functional opportunity for him to show this is what it looks like when you have all the authority in the world. You can relax and just serve. Mm. And I think that that's just amazing to me. So yeah, man, that speaks so much to what what actual true power is. There's this sense I feel like for a lot of people, um, the more they the the farther along they get in life, so the higher they climb the corporate ladder, or the bigger they grow their church, or um, you know, the the older, more mature they get, and the more responsibilities they have, they feel as if um, the, they have this power, but yet they feel confined. They feel um, they feel this outrageous pressure um, because they they have to figure it out. They have to be the ones to solve, and they have to be the ones to provide or direct, and and all these different things. And the truest, the truest sense of power is this liberating, um, liberating reality of that living with God, that living as uh, living and resting in the power of God means that I don't have to strive for my own. It means I don't have to work to make sure my piece is cut out because God's is already there. No, that that's that's exactly right. And it just occurs to me while we're talking, Moses didn't solve a single problem. Abraham didn't solve a single problem. None of these men or women that we think, man, those are people of faith. They they all deserve to be in Hebrews 11 kind of dynamic. They didn't solve problems. When they were doing their stuff, they caused problems. Abraham, Moses, David, all of them caused problems. And it all came down to, oh, here's where I exert my authority. So Moses is striking a rock where God said not to, and and Abraham is, you know, saying, I'll take control of this birth issue. <laughs> you know, I'll get my handmaiden, or I'll, I'll obey Sarah, or com- be complicit with Sarah. That's that's what happens. You know what I mean? This is the nature of when the people in the Bible live like I live. Mm-hmm. They cause problems. Yeah. And the, the secret of their success is the opposite of we think the secret of our, our success. We think, if I can just figure it out, if I can just be mature enough, if I can just have these answers, then... Then it will run smooth. And then we look to whoever we think is doing that, and either they're kind of faking it <laughs> or they're doing what the people in the Bible did and releasing. Yeah. You know? And that that's just the opposite of conventional wisdom, church wisdom, church practice, spiritual living in many cases. Sure. And we'll look at it because we've read the story a thousand times and we've participated in the youth group retreat, you know, experience that, like, we look at Peter and we go, oh, Peter, you, you silly, you silly doofus. Like, how are you not getting this? Like, but I mean, we, if we're placed in that situation, we're placed in the position where the, the ultimate power, the ultimate authority is trying to lower themselves and what we would see is debase themselves we would have the same reaction as peter and we live and we try to make it so that um if we find ourselves in the position of jesus we find ourselves in the position of power over people we try to make sure we are never even accidentally in the place where we would be seen as debasing ourselves or be seen as lowering ourselves um even when we're trying to give and serve so often it comes so so often i mean and, and again 
myself. This is this is me. Um, sometimes, man, when I'm living in the power of God, when I serve people and I love people, it is is totally for Him and and, and for Him. But so often, um, I even still, when I'm trying to serve, I'm, am outwardly looking towards like, hey, how does this help me? How does this um, benefit me? Or what is this? Um, how does this look to other people? Um, and so I just I think it's one of those things where I in here I need to be I need to be really fair to Peter because we. We, we Peter is trying to set up the situation exactly how we set up our lives. That that's exactly right, and it, you know that idea uh, that really cuts me a bit. That idea of we don't want to debase ourselves. I I never use that word, but I don't want to. That's just unspiritual. That's inappropriate. And the the irony is, I sit in the seat of the Pharisees. If the Pharisees would have been here, they would have been right in saying Jesus clearly does not understand the meaning of what's happening. Just like they did when he allows this woman who had a history of prostitution to to be kissing his feet and, you know, cleaning with her hair and in tears and all this or with the perfume. The disdain that Jesus received in that situation is the same disdain that I put on to people when I am not open to, hey, maybe this is of God. Now, I'm not suggesting everything somebody did is of God just because I think it's inappropriate. But I am suggesting we knee-jerk so quickly, and we call it spirituality, mm-hmm. as if God needs our protection. How ignorant is that, that I think, oh, I better step in here because God needs my protection, you know? And yet he leaves us this whole book filled with examples of, hey, here's what happens when humans step in, and don't trust me to do this. Now, sometimes that leads them to step in. I'm not, I'm not saying you'd never intervene, and I'm not saying you wouldn't say something is inappropriate. But it's that knee-jerk, it's that immediate response, oh, this doesn't fit my model, so it must be wrong. Peter is exactly me. Yeah, absolutely. In almost every day of my life, e- even that example I just used about walking into that situation uh, outside of our building and having to clean that up, there is this part that I'm like, I hope somebody sees me doing this Yeah. because I shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, it, in my own heart, I'm like, why shouldn't I be doing it? Like, what authority have I received that I would be above this? Mm-hmm. You know, it needs to be done. And I'm not even mad at the person that did it because I'm guessing they that was the most private place they had access to. Mm-hmm. And and so it's just one of those things that Jesus could have been really angry in his spirit and saying, guys, you should have been doing this. But that's not his message at all. He's saying the more you move into God, the more you want to be open to wherever he leads you, including doing the thing that you're like, well, I would never do that. Mm-hmm. That, man, that that's gold. Um, so transitioning, I feel like we could just keep bouncing off each other on this for a while oh yeah um what what perplexes you about this the part that's challenging to me is you had mentioned this about judas and it's where so he's like so clearly it says we know judas and where this is going you know jesus knows it um and then he goes and on one hand he's letting it go but then in verse 10 he's like those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet their whole body is clean that's a literal thing that he's applying spiritually and you are clean peter they're not every one of you. And I'm like, in my world, that's a jab. Yeah. And But it's instruction. And the key here is I don't know how to deal with the truth I know. I mean, I don't know how to deal with the fullness of it. Like, like I know how to apply part of it. But when I'm in conversations that are challenging, and this was a very challenging conversation. Here's Jesus. We've talked many times about, we have to put this in the context, he's never been under more pressure than right this moment. You know what I mean? So the fact he's doing any of this is mind-blowing. But it's like he's not sharing everything. I just don't know what that, 
like when I notice something in somebody, and certainly I don't notice it as confidently as Jesus does, because if I see some weakness in you, I recognize there's part of my filter that's coloring that, and I don't know how much. So I got to be really careful to say, here's exactly what's going on inside you. Jesus knew that. So there's a difference. But why even say that? You know, and I think it's wise. I think he's setting them up because they will come back and reference, hey, Jesus told us about that. And this is one of those examples. But I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to either I'm all I'm the servant here, I don't have any authority, or I'm in charge here and I'm I'm the 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 sage and I have all the advice here. And it's it's just challenging. Yeah, no, I, man, there's there's so much there. And this might be a question that a thousand people have asked each other. Um it, it is so fascinating to me. I never thought about this. This doesn't directly apply to you. Um, so Judas betrays Jesus in a, in a pretty bad way. Um, but at the point where Judas kills himself, every single disciple is also in a state of betrayal to, to Jesus. Right. Um, and so there's just so much interesting weirdness there that I have no, um, no, I don't know how to, I don't know how to handle it. I don't know how to deal with it. Um, and so like there is, like you said, there is helpfulness there for the disciples later on when they're reflecting. Um, is it to, is it, is it a message to Judas that like, you know, cause Judas feels like he has a power. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know exactly what, what's happening here, but yeah, I, um, one of those things that I would just have to sit and be like, I don't know. And I'm uncomfortable because it raises a lot of questions that I have, uh, zero answers for. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of times I'm like, Jesus really is restraining himself. And then sometimes he'll say stuff. I'm like, that'd be something I'd restrain, <laughs> you know? And, and that's the challenge is I can apply a part of this, at least conceptually. I'm not saying I'm good at it of man, just, just be at peace, go into the situation and let God lead you. But this part of then knowing in the middle of that, it's one thing for me to decide generically, God will lead me. It's another thing in the middle of our conversation to say, what is most needed here? And it comes back to the same answer of resting in him, but it feels like it's going too fast. Like, I need an answer right now because we're in a conversation, and I feel like to really let God work, I'm going to have to, I don't know, wait, not talk, whatever. So so what perplexes you? Yeah, so, I mean, really, um, started in verse 16, very true, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is, me- nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus, in, in this, in the, during the Last Supper, the night of the Last Supper, um, he is just constantly doing these things to uh to elevate to um to bless his disciples and um yeah i, I just i, I it, it's just so perplexing to me um that the, just the mind-bending i mean faith, i guess faith faith that jesus has here to know what's happening to know what's about to happen to know how his disciples are going to react and yet to be like i'm setting an example for you um, and just so you know, like, and I'm, and part of this whole process is like, I'm going to, like the whole, like, it, it, there's just so much here where I go, um, where Jesus is so able to live in the moment. He's so able to honor where they're at and yet have such a ability to, 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 um, to know them well enough to know what the future is. And, to, and there's just so much here where I go, how, um, one with all that's about to happen with Jesus, how is he staying present? How, how can you, and maybe that's the answer of like part of one of the reasons why he washes feet is because you can't wash somebody's feet necessarily and be, you know, not present in that moment to one degree or the other, if you're feeling the grime of their feet and, um, maybe they have slimy toe, slimy, uh, 
<laughs> in between their toes or whatever. Not a lot um, of pedicures present, I'm sure. No, <laughs> I've had a situation where my feet have been washed, and I have a web toe. It's really it really bothered um, one of the people that washed my feet because um, oh. they really couldn't get in there. Uh, <laughs> that's that has nothing to do with anything. Um, <laughs> I wonder if any of the apostles. Like, you know what's interesting to me that just jumped out at me mm-hmm. is. I don't think there's any other recording of the apostles initiating or participating in feet washing. Is is there? I don't know. Some, I wish we had some sort of way to search that or figure that out. <laughs> but yeah, I, I can't think of one. No, but it is it is helpful because Jesus goes on to say, hey, I've set you set this example for you. Um, and and seeing um, and, and, and it'd be interesting to go forward and track. OK, what? If this this is something they obviously thought about after the fact and had an impact an impact on them. So what did what did feet washing for them look like? You know, months later, what did feet washing look a uh, year, two years later for them? Um, that'd be really that'd be an interesting to track. The other thing is, it just hit me. I mean, I've always known or known for a long time that that the only account John's the only one that records the foot, foot feet washing. You know, why is it so hard to get feet and foot washing mixed I don't up know. here? But. Why is it that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't consider that important enough to include? It, mm. It's it's fascinating. And, and that's the irony of us thinking this is a spiritual practice. The spiritual practice is not feet washing. The spiritual practice is doing the thing that you'd be like, I would never do that. Yeah. But for Christ, I will. And I'll feel great about it. Mm, that's good. Yeah, man, I, there's there's a lot here. And I feel like we kind of, I kind of discombobulated us towards, towards the end of this episode. Um, but I just want to, I just want to encourage you. Um, there's been a been an artist on Instagram that has just man really blessed me recently. Um, her name is uh, Salt and Gold Collection, um, and she does these uh, these drawings of Jesus washing the feet of um, of people, and I mean brought literal tears to my eyes um, because they have just been so beautiful and so helpful for me in um, in in recognizing that idea of. Man, if if, if you if if you're gonna allow Jesus to wash your feet, if you're gonna allow the King of the Universe to wash your feet. Um, there's not any sort of preconceived box you need to tick for God to wash your feet. Um, and that is such a, um, one, it's a convicting message because most of the time there are boxes that I need somebody to tick before I serve them. And it's also just an incredibly hopeful thing. Yes, I got really sudden there for a second. Um, it's also very, it's also an incredibly hopeful thing to remind myself that when I, when I'm down on myself that I haven't checked the boxes um, or I'm judging because someone else hasn't checked the boxes. Um, maybe those boxes are really important when you get down the road. Um, but when it comes to first things first, God is not, the God of the universe is not going to have to have you check a box. The only box you have to check is that you're willing to let him do it. Um, and that is a truth that I need to rest in for a little bit. Thank you for listening. Grace, peace, and love. <laughs>